Good morning, church. Good morning. We're glad that you've come and you've come on a beautiful day. Well, what a blessed day it is to be in the house of the Lord. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Well, we have with us this morning, uh, we have divisional leaders with us, visiting with us this morning, and it's my pleasure to introduce them to you. So will you please join me in greeting and welcoming Majors John and Lonnie Chamnus right here. They've come to worship with us. And now Major John is going to come and also introduce our territorial leaders this morning. Well, good morning. It's great to be here this morning. You guys look wonderful. Even you, Paul. <laughs> Aloha, Paul. It's always great to see you. Uh, well, it's my privilege this morning to introduce our territorial leaders. And uh, to give you an idea in Salvation Army terms, they're our bishop. They're the ecclesiastical leaders of the Salvation Army for the 13 western states. And uh, they've been gone for a few years, and now they're back home. And uh, they've come as our, as our leaders of uh, the Salvation Army here in the 13 western states. Well, let me just share with you a little bit of uh, who they are. Uh, Commissioners Kenneth and Kenneth G. and Jolene K. Hodder serve as the territorial commander and territorial president for women's ministry, ministries uh, here in the USA Western Territory. Commissioner Ken is a graduate of Harvard College um, and Harvard Law School. And uh, after, after leaving uh, Harvard, you went to L.A. where you actually practiced law for a number of years in Los Angeles. I think he passed the bar his first time through, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, Commissioner Jolene, she holds a Bachelor's of Science degree from California, California State University, and she's currently pursuing her Master's at Treveca University, Nazarene University. Well, in 1986, after serving uh, several years in their chosen professions, Commissioners Hodder responded to God's call as Salvation Army officers, and we're so glad that you did. They were commissioned in 1988, and they subsequently served in Salvation Army Corps appointments in Southern California at the Glendale Corps and Torrance Corps. Later on, they went to serve at our Salvation Army Training College in Southern California in Rancho Palos Verdes, and later at our uh, Western Territorial Headquarters in Long Beach, California. Well, in 1997, they were uh, appointed to Atlanta, Georgia, where they served as the leaders and coordinators for the International Millennial Congress. And later they served as the divisional leaders, or excuse me, in Southern California at the divisional headquarters there, and then as the divisional leaders in the Cascade Division, which is in Portland, Oregon. From there, their uh, journey really began. Uh, Commissioners Hodder were then appointed in 2006 to serve as the Chief Secretary and Territorial Leader of Women's Ministries in Kenya, in the Kenyan Territory. Three years later, the Hodders were appointed to our international headquarters in London, England, where Commissioner Ken Hodder served in dual roles as the International Secretary for Personnel and as legal and constitutional advisor to the General of the Salvation Army. Commissioner Jolene Hodder served as the Associate International Secretary for Personnel during that time. And then the General sent them back to Kenya uh, to serve as the territorial leaders and that's where they've been for the past four years before returning here to the USA Western Territory. Would you please greet Commissioners Ken and Jolene Hodder this morning.
Thank you, Major, for that introduction. But what we do want you to know, the most important thing about the Hotters is that we have been saved by Jesus Christ. His grace has transformed um, who we are, what we hope to be, and we know that great things um, are in store for us in the future because he is in control and not us. I told my husband I wouldn't do that. But you heard that we've lived in Kenya for over eight years. Now, that is something that a woman would do in the village when she is happy. And I am very happy that I am here today. Um, They tell me that in the village that you can actually tell what woman is happy within the village because the Sagala Gala, that's what it's called, are all different. And so, ladies, I encourage you to practice your Sagala Gala. Um, Today, I want you to know that I am incredibly um, overwhelmed that I am here worshiping with you today. Um, I just love Hawaii. I don't want to go back tonight. Uh, So you're probably going to see a lot of me because I want to come back over and over and over again. And I'm also incredibly privileged today that I, Jolene, get to share God's Word with you. And that is a real privilege. Now, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many of you have your Bible say, I have my Bible? Very good. Let's open those Bibles today. Genesis 22, for those of you who are new to the book, that is the first book of the Bible. Genesis 22, verses 1 to 18. And I love to hear the rustling of the pages of God's Word. Genesis 22, 1 through 18. Let's read it together. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set about for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for his burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. 
Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his holy word this morning. God bless you. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. After so many years in Kenya, you will understand that my wife and I are getting used to life in the United States once again. We are being reintroduced to a number of our favorite things. Starbucks coffee would be amongst those. Another one would be a freshly prepared Krispy Kreme donut. And of course, I can't leave out that blessing from heaven, an Oreo cookie blizzard from Dairy Queen. But I must tell you that I will never forget this visit to Hawaii because you have reintroduced me to one of God's greatest gifts. When I went into the restaurant, they gave me a menu. And it said near the bottom, cheeseburger and fries. And I thought it was too good to be true. I looked up pleat with a little bit of pleading in my eyes and said to the waitress, may I please have one of these? She smiled and she said, yes, you may. A few minutes later, she placed before me a platter that I thought was a heavenly vision. It had upon it a large mound of French fries. And next to that, a cheeseburger with freshly prepared and beautifully cooked meat, the juices running out of the side. It was overlaid with two slices of cheese that had melted and formed themselves around that cheeseburger. It was topped by a firm, ripe tomato and crispy lettuce. And all of it was encased in a beautiful, freshly baked bun 
soft and warm. I put huge dollops of mayonnaise on it, a little ketchup, and a little mustard. And then I faced a problem. It was too tall to fit into my mouth. So I did what any red-blooded American would do. I pressed it down so that it would fit. I cut it in half, and I opened it up and saw all of the colors, smelled, smelled all of the wonderful scents, and I lifted up half of that cheeseburger, and I put it into my mouth. <sighs> that waitress was an angel, and she had shown me a little bit of heaven. Now, your mouths are watering. Behavioral psychologists tell us that the watering of our mouths when we hear of good food is the result of a four-step process. The first step is experience. The second, repetition. The third is habit. And finally, the fourth step is instinct. The same thing characterizes a healthy spiritual life. If we look into God's Word, we see Psalm 34, 8, which says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We do, and we find that He is. And we find as we seek Him again and again, as we have multiple experiences, oh yes, we discover God's promises are true. He does never fail. I can do this again and again, and He will always be there for me. So that repetition becomes habit. And we think of Matthew 5, 6, when it says we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And all of that, as we continue to seek God's will, leads us to what the psalmist said in Psalm 42, 1. My soul pants for thee, O God, as the deer pants for the water. Our spiritual life should become instinct. It should become a matter of our developing a relationship and seeing that blessing and coming to the conclusion, whatever we do, whatever we bring to Him, the Lord is there for us. In the passage that my wife read a few moments ago, we hear one of the stories from the life of Abraham. And there are three key moments in this particular story. The first occurs in the 10th verse, when Abraham raises his hand with the knife in it to bring down and to slay his son. Now, the Scriptures at no point indicate that he hesitated for a moment. God had told him to do what he was about to do, and although it broke his heart as a father, he was determined to do it. He was willingly laying upon the altar that he had constructed before him everything that he loved, everything that he cared about, and he was about to rob it of life because God had said he should. The second key point is when the angel stays his hand in the 12th verse 
and he stops him. God's sovereignty and God's grace at that moment is made apparent. We may think we know what God wants, but he is always in charge. And God may change the plan at any moment. The angel reaches down and says, stop. The third moment is not in the words that we read in the Scripture, but I know it is there. It comes somewhere between the 12th and the 13th verse. When Abraham undoes the ropes that bound his son on the altar, and his son steps down, and I know that Abraham embraced his son and said in his heart, and perhaps even audibly, thank you, God, you have returned to me what I love most. The same is true for us. When we instinctively do what God calls us to do, we lay upon the altar of our lives everything that we love and that we care about. Our family, our future, our hopes, and our dreams. And we say, Lord, it is here in front of you. Take all that there is. And God in His goodness will give us back what He wants us to have. And we love it all the more because we know it has come from His hand. It is His gift. It is His blessing to us. We take everything that we have in our lives, we offer it to God, and we say, Dear Lord, it is all for you to, lose, to, to use. He gives it back. It is richer and fuller and more meaningful than it ever could have been before. But the altar, friends, is today viewed by many to be an outmoded concept. The idea that you would place something on an altar is considered to be beneath us as a people. We're too rational. We're too sophisticated. And particularly, we don't believe many will say, that you can come down to a place that has been established in an altar and place your life in God's hands and that God will do anything with it. Well, I heartily disagree. The impact upon a life that is given to God, wherever it is given, whether it be at simple benches in the front of a place of worship, or whether it's around a Salvation Army drum in the muck and the mire and the dirt and the filth of western Kenya, whether it's in the seats that we're sitting in, whether it's along the roads that we walk, any place where we choose to give our lives and our hearts and our dreams back to God becomes a mercy seat. It becomes a place of transformation. It becomes a place and a moment that is very special. We therefore do not give this place of prayer any special significance except that we know that miracles happen when men and women kneel here. When men and women give themselves, that's what's holy. Holy.
about this place. That's what's holy about any place where we give our lives to God. The message concluded. People began to make their way from around the arena down to the mercy seat, the altar that had been established in the center of the building. There was a low murmur of muffled prayers to the accompaniment of a piano as it supported a supportive congregation in song. People streamed from all corners of the building to come down and to give themselves to God. And not just to say, Lord, take my life, but to say, Lord, take that portion of my life that I don't want anymore. Take that portion of my life that is holding me back, that has tainted me, the sin and the guilt and the shame, take it all away. And we were viewing at that moment that God was doing just that. One Salvation Army officer who was sitting in the arena looked down and he noticed one of the young men that had been hired as a technician for that particular Congress. He'd been there every night, efficiently going about his work with lighting cues on the stage that had been established. But tonight, the officer noticed that young man was somehow different. He seemed ill at ease, a little perplexed. He was rubbing his hands together as if he had a problem that he could not solve. In an instant... The officer knew what that young man was feeling. And so he came down from where he was seated to the chair in which that young man sat. And he put his arm around his shoulder and he spoke gentle words of comfort. As that young man put himself on an altar... All of us who were working on the Congress that week had become used to the noise associated with the headsets that we were wearing. Different people giving cues, stage managers giving orders, lighting technicians raising or lowering the lights. That night, the voices on the headsets, however, became thin. People would call out to one another, but they wouldn't get a response. And it soon became clear why. And all the voices on the headset were quieted. It was the sound of a sob. And in the background, the confident, caring voice of a Salvation Army officer leading a young man who had placed all that he was upon the altar to Jesus Christ. Wherever the altar is, it is a place not of shame, but of glory. It is a place where the man who does not know how he is going to feed his family can come. Where the woman who has become resentful of all those around her because of the many demands that are placed upon her, can find relief. Where the pregnant teen can come. Where the young man who is addicted to drugs can come, even though he can't speak to his parents because they can't start a day without having a drink. It's where parents can come and say, Thank you, Lord, for our children. Make us wise for the future. And it's where those who are older can come and say, 
for whatever time I have left, use me and direct me. Lay it all on the altar, and he will. He will take away all that is less than him, and he will give us back what we love most. And what a blessing that is. Here I am, O Lord divine. Accept my gift this day for Jesus' sake. I have no jewels to adorn thy shrine, no world-famed sacrifice to make. Yet here in my hands I bring my will a thing that seemeth small, yet thou alone canst understand that when I yield thee this, I yield thee all. In a moment, we're going to sing a chorus, all that I am, all I can be, all that I have, all that is me. And as we do, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to give your life and all of its promise and its potential, all of its joys and all of its sadnesses to Jesus. Now, perhaps you've done this before. It's always something we should do every day and give our lives back to Him. And there may be those here today who have never done that, who've never felt that freedom that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. The altar is for all of us. Here in the front of this worship center are four simple benches, not holy in themselves, but made holy by men and women who give their lives and bring their problems and seek the blessing of God in this place. As we sing that chorus, I invite you to come and to kneel here, to kneel and say that this is the place where the Lord provides, just as Abraham did. All that I am, all that is me, all that I have. God, sometimes we doubt you. God, sometimes we don't believe in you. Sometimes we question. And God, as we looked at this beautiful story this morning of Abraham and his son, the word that I take away from this, God, is that you will provide. And sometimes, God, through the haze of our lives, through the busyness, through the many challenges, God, all we can see is what's right there in front of us and not realize that, God, you are there right in the midst of all of that to provide. And so, Father, I pray this morning for those who are kneeling, for those who are here at this altar of prayer, this altar of life, this altar of confession, this altar of renewal and hope, this altar of renewal, God. I pray that, uh, God, you would come and remind them of that promise that you will provide, that, God, you will be there for them.
Father, your word says in Matthew chapter 11, you ask us, you invite us to come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. This morning, God, maybe there are those within this sanctuary, this place of holiness, this place of refuge, this place of comfort and hope that are weary, weary from life, weary in their marriage, weary in their job, weary weary in their work. And God, they aren't finding that rest. This morning, God, I, I pray that you would you would respond to that desire of their heart and life that in the midst of their turmoil that you would you would bring them that reminder that you are there that you are present that you will provide God your word is constant and true your word is never failing your word brings life and hope And the promise, God, that for those that trust in you, they will walk and not be weary. And they will soar on your wings of of eagle. And so, God, today we just pray for those that just need that extra care and comfort in their lives today. That as they struggle through this moment, that you will help them to trust in you more and more. God, we love you so much today. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the renewal that you bring in our lives. We thank you for this service in which we have been reminded of your altar that we can come to every day, that altar of hope, that altar where we lay ourselves completely and fully before you. And we say, God, here am I. Here am I, your servant. Here am I. You're called one. And so bless us now, God. Bless us now. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.